Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me, I'm Bill Arnold. I am very excited about the day, as I have planned for weeks now that Guy Talk would happen in this hour. Oh. <laughs> weeks I've been planning for this. That's deep. That yeah. is. Maybe I just thought about it when I got up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, we're going to trust the latter. Yeah, I know. Yes. We have lots of great questions. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. Let me know. You can ask uh, the, any one of the pastors that are here. We've got the power panel, Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. 007 may or may not show up. That's the way he rolls. I just got a text from 007. He said, as per 007, yes. right? He said, yes, I'll be calling in soon. So it's sort of, it's always on his yeah, time, right? Totally I mean, on it's his always time. on his time. Yeah, well, we'll we'll sit and we'll just wait until he shows. Wait, I think that's, that's all we can do. not say anything. No. <laughs> That'd be an awkward <laughs> seven-ish minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. All right, gentlemen, I'm so glad that I got a question here already from a listener. Let's start in with this. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. I'll, I'll, I'll read what it says. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fire, fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. That's the verse. The question is, what is sufferings referring to? As I read it, I was wondering, could this apply to sin? For example, suffering the consequences of my sin, suffering through the fight of sin, or does it mean something different? Strictly relating to sufferings as we are being persecuted as Christians. Well, I think it goes beyond just the personal sin. We all have that and plenty of it. But when you look at uh, the situation where Peter is writing and you look at the Christians in that situation, there is great animosity to our Christianity. And it's going on around the world today. I think the problem is we have, especially in the West, we have a glorified gospel. We like the glory. We're going to go to heaven. Jesus is going to return. You know, he wants to heal you. He wants you to be healthy. And that's fine. But we don't talk much about the fact that he warns us, you're going to be rejected, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be put in prison for my namesake. And I, I think that Peter is simply pointing out, there's both. And you've got to get it in your mind that both are going to come your way, one way or the other. And when it does come, don't look at it as you're being punished or put down, but rejoice, because you're standing up for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think in First Peter, he's probably talking about Christian persecution for the faith mm-hmm. and not about suffering for your sins. However, I think Hebrews 12 does talk about God disciplining us so that we may share his holiness. So I think in, in Rome, uh, Hebrews 12, it is talking about God disciplining us and getting us away from our sin so we can share God's holiness. So I think both are true. I, I think, though, 
in context, First Peter is talking about Christian persecution for the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think when you look back at the book of Acts chapter 5, you see a situation in which Peter and John are called in front of the religious leaders of the day of the Sanhedrin. And as a result of sort of a pseudo trial that they were put upon, the end of that trial, they were um, flogged for what they perceived to be heresy. The, the religious leaders perceived them to be preaching heresy. And after, it was, after they were flogged, Peter uh, it is said of him that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had counted, been counted worthy of suffering uh, for the name of Jesus. So I think when Peter is probably talking in his letter, right, guys, I mean, this is the very person who already of whom it was described that he rejoiced in the sufferings that he had experienced on behalf of representing Jesus in this mm-hmm. world. So I agree, Tom. I mean, I think we experience suffering from our sin, but I also agree that this passage written by Peter for whom he had already rejoiced in the sufferings of persecution. Mm -hmm. That's probably what he's talking about. It's the suffering of persecution. The Lord's discipline is never punishing in the sense that he wants to cripple us or destroy us or he sent us to hell. Right. Mm -hmm. When you get, when you know, I've been to Bangladesh and there's a lot of persecution over there among the Christians uh, by the Muslim community. They want to hurt people. They want to punish people. Uh, a lot of young girls disappear from villages and are never seen again. And a Christian parent, that would drive me crazy. But discipline from the Lord, and I agree with Hebrews, discipline is for my own good to make mm-hmm. me mature. That's right. You know, when I when I played football or ran track, I had to run around that track more than I ever got to run in a race. Mm. And that was the discipline to be able to get healthy and to go there. But persecution is another matter. And, you know, I think the... Uh, uh, thinking of persecution of the church, I just urge people to Google the words international Christian concern, or I think it's mm-hmm. just persecution.org, and they send you a free magazine once a month. They tell you the horror stories of what Christians are going through overseas. And I pray for I pray for the persecuted church maybe once a week, but it's good to read that and just pray for these poor people. And, you know, I <laughs> recently I recovered from COVID, and it was absolutely horrible, and I was so horribly sick, I thought of the persecuted church, and I thought, um, would I deny Christ if I got tortured enough? Because that, that's the kind of pain I was in. And I, so what I do, I've been doing this for years, but when I pray for the persecuted church, Lord, help them not deny you. And and if they do, may they repent and you forgive them, take them back. But my prayer for me is, Lord, may I die before I would deny you. Mm-hmm. And I pray that now because left on my own, when that moment comes, I'm going to wimp out. But just uh, so that, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're called to... Uh, And Tom, about your point, I don't think a Christian ever experiences the wrath of God because Jesus took that cup and drank it on the the cross. But we do, uh, Hebrews 12, experience the discipline of God. Can I give an antidote on how stupid I was young in my ministry? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm called to Trinity of Mehaha Falls. I'm just 35 years old. Been there about a year. My administrator says, hey, we've got a missionary couple coming by, and they'd sure like to meet with you and talk to you about what's going on. And I said, well, fine, set it up. So the next Tuesday, this old couple comes in, sets in my office. We'd talk for an hour and a half and pray, and it was nice and delightful. And, you know, I, I kind of patted him on the back on the way out and, you know, told people he yeah, had a nice talk. Turned out with Richard Wormbrandt and his wife Sabrina, who started Voice of the Martyrs. And he had been in prison for 14 years in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> and this guy has experienced more of persecution and pain and the trust in the Lord than I ever have. And, and I didn't even realize who he was at the time. So it taught me a lesson. You know, treat everyone humbly and recognize that you may be in the presence of somebody 
who really has entertained angels. Great comment. Let me just uh, pray real quick. Lord, I pray that Justin arrives to the show soon, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What is he here? Hey, guys. Whoa! Whoa! Uh, the prayer of a righteous man. Yeah, the bill in a big wow. That really was a pseudo prayer. prayer. No, it was a not pseudo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need this kind of harassment. It's your show. You can do whatever you want. That was remarkable. <laughs> Amazing. Well, welcome, Justin. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much. Good to be with you guys. Sorry I'm a little bit late. That's okay. You do as you please. <laughs> and we've come to expect that. All right, let me read something from this little book we're giving away. As many copies as we have to give away called Fields of Gold. I love that song. Who, who sings it? Sting. Sting. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I didn't it's think you were a Sting song. Fan. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now get spiritual, Bill. I'm going to get spiritual now. Andy Stanley has written this book. We've got a whole bunch of copies. It's a, kind of a smaller book, but here's an interesting uh, excerpt from the book. It says, is fear holding you back? Is, is fear holding back your generosity? Do you give leftovers because you're concerned about making ends meet? Have you ever asked God to give you a plan for the stewardship of his money? That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Like you go to God and say, God, give me a plan. Help me with a plan for the stewardship of your money. Yeah, mm-hmm. amen. Yeah, can I tell a story? Better be uh, good. Very quick. All right. <laughs> I, I think I had heard about this, but then you, I saw a documentary on it. In Africa, when they want to catch baboons, they'll put a they'll put a hole in the gourd. Now listen to this. They'll put a hole in the gourd right. and fill it full of nuts. Yeah. And they'll put the top on the gourd, and at night... Yeah. The baboon comes, puts his hand up in the hole, gets his hand full of nuts, yeah. and then because it's a greedy baboon, it won't let go of the nuts and he can't get its hand out. And so the 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 people catch him with gunny sacks in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I and it, the question is, do you own your possessions or do they own you? And why don't we give more? Well, it's because I'm afraid something's going to happen in three weeks. I'm going to need that money, and as if God isn't big enough to take care of that. Well, I've actually seen churches uh, do this, which drives me crazy, uh, laying off staff or not being able to go on the mission trip or not sending people out on missions. But they have 300000 setting in the bank in a, in a rainy day fund. And I'm, yeah. I'm saying well, the Lord's already yeah. provided the money for us to go. Why yeah. are you holding back? But it's pretty common. Uh, most prayers, I think, of Christians, and I can't speak for all of them, when it comes to money and the Lord is, I need more instead of, what more can I do? Yeah, I think, I mean, ownership is not exactly a biblical concept, right? That that concept of stewardship, that we are stewards of that which God already owns. And so that, I think that's a really profound question and prayer that Stanley is, is presenting there, the idea of, okay, if, if the earth is yours and everything in it, like the scripture says, then, then at best I am a conduit and a steward of that which is God's in terms of how it can be used within the context of this world in the most redemptive way possible. And that does require prayer, and it does require discernment. But I think it's what the ancient Israelites were taught so profoundly in the desert and why the jar of manna made its way all the way into the Holy of Holies when they finally built a temple, because what manna taught them was so important for life in this world, which was that if they tried to store the manna, to your point, Tom, if they tried to store it, even into the next day, they would wake up and the manna that they were trying to store to sustain them for the next day because they were worried about the future was filled with maggots, right? So it was it would spoil every day, teaching them this, give us this day our daily bread, Lord, and, and to learn that way and that walk of trust and faith on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting. We actually, in my spiritual formation class, we were talking about this very concept this morning around the the spiritual discipline of simplicity. 
and um, and really it, it, it boils down to um, entrusting um, our, our every aspect of our lives unto the Lord. And and if and if we don't do that, then we're essentially going to be live with duplicity and essentially um, succumbing to trying to serve two masters. You know, and, and Jesus said you can't serve both God and money or God and possessions and where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so I think the that idea of, you know, we will actually reveal our, what we truly treasure and what we really um, are, are focused on and entrusting in is going to actually be showed out, showed up, will show up practically and tangibly through the way that we spend our time and, and, and what we do with the possessions and the resources that God has entrusted to us. Mm-hmm. What did I say at the beginning of the show? I want better than usual answers today. <laughs> And I'm getting them. Oh, there you oh go. gosh. That was, that was like bated breath, that little pregnant pause there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh. Very worried about that. Yeah. yeah. I've got that dramatic pause. You I know do. How to use you it. do. Yeah, yeah, don't we push hanging. me. He's a professional comedian. <laughs> he is, really. Yes. Has, yeah. We'll take a break. When we come back, we want your questions. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. The power panel is in place. Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Peter Kapsner, Justin Jepson. We'll be right back. talk let me know what your questions are for the my distinguished panel of pastors as well as these guys here in the studio (laughs) 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 we're uh we're excited to hear what your questions are 877-933-2484 our friend mike said i'm listening and promoting the panel how nice is that wow doesn't have a question but he's got a nice uh, spirit of promoting us i like that thank you so much all right um here's a question I have. My father just turned 100, and he's a World War II vet, highly honored and respected. At the same time, he's been a horrible father, bully, abusive, threatening, exasperating. How am I supposed to honor him and love him, as the Word of God says, when he's been cruel and demeaning to me all my life and was physically abusive to my now-deceased mother? Mm. Yikes. That's yeah, a heavy question. That is a heavy question. Mm-hmm. I, I remember it stuck with me for 30 some odd years now, a pastor giving a sermon about honor thy father and their mother and, and really took on, it wasn't obviously this exact scenario, but it was the kind of scenario of if how do you do that in the context of a very difficult upbringing or relationship with your parents, if there was abuse or what obviously in this listener's case is, is quite a difficult situation. And and he made the point that it wasn't about just honoring carte blanche everything about your parents. It, it wasn't that you just sit back and sort of take it and you say, hey, I really am I'm glad for you and, and all of that. And he said, if you can just even find one little place, uh, even if it's just freedom for you at the end of the day, and just simply honor the fact that they were used by God to give you life. Like if you can just start there, you don't have to honor anything about their character, anything about the way you're treated, anything about that, but just that they were that conduit for you to have life. Um, there may be a lot of pain and a lot of release in just being able to do that where you don't have to play the game of pretend and try to honor someone who has acted so dishonorably. So he kind of nuanced out that passage a little bit 
And, and that has stuck with me for quite some time to, to help people who have had very painful situations with their parents. It's a good word. I think sometimes, and it's too late for this situation, but sometimes the way you honor your mother and father if there's abuse going on is by calling the police. You know, I've had to deal with that being a pastor where somebody was molesting his stepdaughter and finally the stepdaughter did the difficult thing. But I think sometimes we honor people by helping them get caught. (laughs) Well, you know, honoring your parents is not simply being a doormat for their sinful behavior. Honoring your parents is being, uh, within the context, being truthful and looking for redemption. And I think that's what we have a hard time doing. How do we look for redemption for a father or mother that's been so abusive for all these years? And yet, what I would advise uh, to this lady or this man is that that's what they want to look for in their heart. The Lord, my dad has been a pain. My dad has been an evil man. Um, There are times I wish he was dead, and I've heard that from people. But... I want to honor you by honoring him. And so how can I speak the truth but do it in a way that's redemptive? And that doesn't mean you don't have to say some harsh things once in a while. And I think there's another angle to this, too, that um, is not easy to necessarily always think about. But one way to honor, I mean, recognize that, you know, it's, this is a fallen, tough, difficult, brutal world. And, oh, and, and for some people, it is going to manifest in some really tough, brutal, fallen kinds of ways. And And one thing that I talk with my students about quite a bit is the idea of whatever your background is, part of being a redemptive person is it being willingness to sort of take the blow on the present on behalf of the future, meaning that this ends with me, that the patterns and cycles of my family end with me at this point. And, and so my dad used to say to me often, and I was so grateful for it, he'd say, you know, there's certain things I'm going to introduce into your life. Even though I love you, I'm disordered, I'm fallen, stuff like that. I just, can they end with you? Don't perpetrate them to the next generation. And that is, a, that is quite the invitation. And you kind of... I'm not saying you honor in that way, but you, but you do something and then you say, you know what? I don't know what life served you up, and I know that you're a zoo and a disaster, but that all ends with me. I'm not going to perpetrate that on. There's something kind of honoring about that. You bet. Wow. Yeah. And I think 007 just slipped away. He did. Yeah. Well, you know, you just never know when he's going to get the call. You oh, he's never calling, know. He's calling back now. So. Okay, good. Here's a question. Is it important to become an official member at a local church, or is it okay if you just keep going consistently to one church? I'd like to answer that. Why Bill. did I know you would speak up <laughs> well, first I, and you foremost know, you know, the, with a louder the, than usual voice? <laughs> Speaking of World War II generation, yeah. those people were committed to God, their country, and their church. We live in a generation where almost nobody's committed to the church. I'll go to one church for six months and get my feelings hurt that I won't go for five years. Then I might go somewhere. You know, I think people need to join a church. Hebrews 10.25, I mean, I I get emails from people that I don't go to church, but, you know, I just read the Bible and I watch TV. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so I think everybody needs to be in a church and Bite the bullet, go through a new members class and actually join it, serve it, find where you're good and, and start serving the church. But we live in a day and age where it's it it's just sad how uh, non-committed people are to the church. There and you go. That's I, my answer. I would get rid of the Thank term. Thank you, Tom Brock. Thank you. I would now, get rid Tom of the Parrish. term membership. Membership is, is much more, people are members at a lot of things, at the Elks Club, at this and that, there's their members. So what do members do? They show up, they pay their dues, and they, they take whatever is coming from the audience or from the speaker. The Bible talks about partnership in the gospel. And I learned over the years, instead of talking about becoming a member of this church, becoming a partner in the gospel with this church, it's the same thing. 
Well, what you're looking for now is a, is not a passive, I'm a member. It is an active thing. I'm now participating with the pastors, with the lay people, with the staff in taking the gospel message out. And I think the more of that we can do, the better our people will be. So I would be curious you guys' thoughts if there's a distinction between a gathering of believers as sort of being the church together and going to an organization that is called the church. And what I mean by that is I think there's a pretty significant movement afoot uh, of more of a home church kind of movement where yes. it's not going to be tied to a big organization or denomination, but the believers are still gathering together mm-hmm. more ad hoc. Maybe they're meeting on a Sunday in somebody's home, having communion together, having a meal together. So are, are we talking about the idea that we don't forsake the gathering of believers because That's of the right. importance of not doing this alone? Or are we talking about a denominational membership? Do you know what I mean? I, well, I, I think as long as you're part of a church, whether it's a denomination or non-denominational, or if it's a home church or a uh, small group Bible study where, you, I mean, I, I think every it's great to be part of small group Bible study, but I still want somebody to be able to take Holy Communion yeah. and to serve somewhere. So, yeah. How do home churches have authority? How does that get distributed, Tom Parrish? You might answer that. Most home churches uh, in America, their authority comes because they're tied to a large church. So there's still that connection with okay. the large church. You go overseas, uh, especially where there's persecution, and the authority comes from the leader who was willing to sacrifice everything and stand up for Jesus. When the leader does that, the authority comes. When mm-hmm. the leaders don't do that, they don't have any authority at all. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Justin, do you have a thought on that, or, or did you hear the question? I, I didn't. I got cut off, so I didn't hear the question, but I think I— Well, answer, got, it, answer it anyway. <laughs> the main tenor of it. No, I uh, I think that the kind of the, the, the I think really what what it boils down to is is recognizing that God has when he when he saves us he doesn't just save us unto himself but he saves us to be members or baptized into one body First Corinthians twelve says sure. so we're actually members one of another and I think the reality of um, I cannot live the life that God um, died to save me for. Um, by myself, and and then I need to be submitted to spiritual leadership, being a place where I'm able to gather regularly with other believers, uh, to share in fellowship. Um, in the I mean Acts two forty two, and and to be able to do that, and I think the the word of God, um, in the, throughout Acts, I think it gives us a lot of liberty on how we do that, and I think we've we've overcomplexified it a lot in the West in particular. And I, you know, I think of, you know, we've talked about this organization's ministry um, in the past on the show of the Timothy initiative and how they are able to rapidly plant and multiply churches um, in the most difficult areas to reach with the gospel in the world. And they have such a simple gathering of a church, whether it's underneath a mango tree or it's in a hallway or in a little shelter or shed, but it usually consists of planning a church of it's three or four different families that gather regularly together for the sake of of worshiping, for prayer, for for teaching from the word. They practice uh, their, 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 the sacraments of baptism and communion, and and then they're and then they're sharing their faith and they're multiplying. And so um, there's nothing about a building in there. There's nothing about budgets. There's nothing about all those things that I think are. They're not bad in themselves, but I think we've become overly dependent on the structures that we've missed the very substance of what the New Testament talks about when it refers to the church as the people of God. Hmm. Guy Talks coming at you today under the mango tree. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. The Power Panel is here to take your questions. Be right back. All right. 
Back with Guide Talk. Let me know what questions you have, 877-933-2484. I'd like to start this half hour with a word of prayer for Jim from Boone, North Carolina. He'd appreciate a prayer for healing. He's spending, he has spent the last year in pain following mm. a fall down his stairs. He's mm. 70, and the journey's been really hard. Let's offer that for this brother, Jim. Any, anyone like to pray? Lord, we pray yeah, for you. Go, you go ahead there. All right. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our dear brother, Jim. And uh, I thank you for him uh, even just submitting this request and bringing it to us. It's an honor to come before your throne of grace um, on his behalf. And I pray that right now that this, the sweetness of your presence would overwhelm his heart and mind. Um, the peace that transcends understanding would guard him and surround him. And, uh, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of compassion, that you are a God who is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for you. And we pray um, that you would bring healing, um, not only over his physical body, but that you would heal him of, uh, of any fears, any emotional pain, um, and help him to trust in you, uh, Lord, to know that you are with him, that you are his great high priest, that you are his good shepherd, and uh, and that you will never leave him nor forsake him. Uh, surround him also with Christian community. May he know that he's not, uh, he's never alone, and that um, there would be other brothers and sisters that could incarnate the very life of Christ uh, around him to help provide for his needs and to care for him. And um, and so, Father, it's an honor to pray for Jim, and uh, we thank you for him, and we pray that you would bless him and keep him today in your grace and peace. In Christ's name, we pray. Thank you, Justin. Amen. Thank you very Amen. much. Now, Tom Brock, would you like to sing a, a, a line for this poor guy? No, just sing. Oh, just sing a line. Yeah, because of... you didn't. You almost started praying, I and did. then you let Justin pray. Old, so I figured, you know. So I figured now I'd let you sing. Let me sing an old Lutheran hymn. Just make it short. <laughs> oh, love that will not let me go. It's a great. You know, I love the old sad hymns. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm, if I was this seven-year-old man going through pain, yeah. I love to sing the sad hymns, Why? and that's just because you're feeling grief, but you're singing to the Lord, and it's beautiful, you know. So, oh, love that wilt not let me go. That's that's a good hymn to, or what, what's the other big one? Um, uh, uh, Come ye disconsolate is another great hymn. So there you go. All right. Do you guys sing hymns in the Baptist church? <laughs> <laughs> No, if it doesn't repeat itself several times over, it's a very simple chorus. So, you know, yeah, yeah, we're camp songs. Yeah, we can't keep we up otherwise. We can't keep church. up. Yeah, indeed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember those we days, do, we Tom? We just contemporize them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's a thoughtful text from a listener. I recently watched a new Heaven's Gate documentary. It's very sad, and I thought I can't pray for them since they've all died in 1997. A week later, I realized I can still pray for the families who appeared Boy. in that documentary. Yeah, I wrote their names down on my prayer list. This made me more positive and hopeful. Don't forget about the survivors. Mm, what right. a lovely thought. What a great insight. It oh, really yeah. is. I appreciate that. Um, I was wondering, hey, guys, wondering when, when each of you as dads, I'll just ask the dads 
uh, I'm going to ask one dad because I don't want to make this too long of an answer. So I'm going to go to uh, Peter because you've oh, got. I thought you were going to say Justin. No, I was five kids. His yeah. kids are a little bit. They're young. Oh, sure. Because the question yeah. is, as dads, have you led Bible study with your own kids? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what does that look like? Well, and so in our context, um, we even have done some home church kinds of things as a family uh, from time to time, and especially as we've moved around quite a bit. And, and Hallie and I have been involved in a local church in so many years that sometimes we sort of almost need a Sabbath just to be a way to kind of regather because it's hard to be um, always you know, the one doing the ministry in that context. So we've had long seasons of, of home church as a family and with friends and meals and communion. And, and in that context, usually, uh, most recently, we were just going through the book of Acts together. And I was trying to refrain from teaching anything theologically with the kids. I just wanted them swept up in the story of faith, that that they would see themselves within the greater story and kind of wonder about what is this story uh, that we're invited into. And so it looks like just reading. And then uh, oftentimes we'll read in the morning at around 10, 30 or something like that. And then we'll gather together in the evening having talked about, so what was going on in your life today as you thought about what we read about this morning? And we'll just go around and check in. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do Bible studies, but but I do find it that it is terribly anchoring for the kids to have their parents in the scriptures with them. Mm-hmm. I, I think we underestimate what that really does with them. Mm-hmm. Justin says, when talking about liberal churches and conservative churches, why don't we call liberal churches unbiblical and conservative churches biblical? It seems like stronger language, but maybe more accurate in a lot of ways and maybe more clear. Well, that's true. However, you do have some conservative churches that are very unbiblical. I mean, if you've got a church where you're not going to heaven, if you go to movies or chew tobacco, I mean, there are some conservative church churches that unless you're part of their little group, they wonder if you're saved. So I, I, you know me, I'm overwhelmingly against the liberalism in the church, and I'm conservative. Mm-hmm. But there are conservative churches that fall off the other side of the horse. Anybody else? Should I move on? Top that! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think this one thing to add to that, yeah, I think the whole kind of liberal, conservative, either or, this or that, you know, I think there is there is somewhat of a continuum, and I think sometimes those 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 words can be— they merit more of a conversation and a definition. And I think we can't equate liberal to anti-biblical. We can't equate conservative to biblical. I think to Tom's point, I think there's there's biblical things that happen in liberal churches, you know, that quote unquote, there's unbiblical things that happen in liberal churches. And then there's biblical things that happen in conservative churches and unbiblical things that happen in conservative churches. Why? Because there's people there mm-hmm. and we're unperfect and, and we're imperfect. But um, But at the same time, I think, you know, we uh, we have a knack and a tendency as humans, and myself included, very much so, to uh, equate maybe a, a preference, a certain denomination, or certain expression of Christianity as this is what's biblical. And I think if we're not careful, um, we can kind of form a, maybe a legalistic construct and that actually deters people from the kingdom rather than invites them in. Well, the other reality is we have a living living Lord Jesus Christ, not a historical Jesus in that sense, although he was historical. The point of it is he is alive. And the problem I see in the church is that we have a tendency to keep making it up as we go. Have you ever looked at the moon through a handheld telescope? It's virtually impossible. You can't stand steady enough to keep Mm -hmm. the moon in the telescope Mm. when you're looking at 25 or 30 power. What do you need? you got to have a tripod. You put that tripod down. Isn't it interesting 
that the tripod in our life is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. When we're centered on Jesus, and I mean really ultimately centered as God the Son, we have a stable base. What I find as a pastor is that there is a tendency for church boards, for church leaders and others to run into problems or issues and allow how people feel about it to determine the outcome rather than really looking to the Lord himself. Mm-hmm. That's where we need to go back, and we can all get, we're all guilty of that one. All right, let's move on. Um, see, when can you give up on a prayer request? You pray for months, years. When can you give up? There is a time to give up because Paul three times prayed that that thorn would go away, and then God says, "Nope, uh, my power is perfected in weakness." I think reading that, Paul stopped praying for that thorn to go away. He knew it was going to stay. And how do you? How do you know when you stop praying for your lumbago or whatever? I don't know. I, I think normally you pray till you die on whatever's bugging you. Mm-hmm. But if the Lord somehow reveals, nope, that's going to stay, then you just stop. And I don't know how the Lord reveals that. It's kind of difficult to discern. How many times in your life have, have you been praying or you've been looking for something and somebody in the church or out of the blue comes forward and says something to you? that they don't even realize what they're fully right. saying. And all of a sudden you say, my goodness, I think that's the voice of the Lord. Yeah. That's what we need to be conscious of. And when that comes, then we stop mm-hmm. if that's what it's about. If not, I'm like you. I've got people I prayed for for 40 years that are on their on their way to hell. I and I want them in the kingdom of God. Yeah, and I'm praying for them till the day I die. Mm-hmm. And I think when we start praying for something, um, if it's about an outcome only, we can get really fixed and kind of narrow in terms yeah. of how God might be moving. And so we're only assuming that he's moving within the outcome that we're praying for one way or the other, as opposed to maybe missing all of the little things that are happening all throughout the day that might represent the answer to prayer that maybe we don't know we're looking for, but what God actually is asking us to attend to in that prayer itself. And so I think in looking for the one big moment, the one big outcome, we might be missing about how the shepherd is leading us all along the way in the midst of all of those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a really good point, Peter. Okay. I, I I think that um, I've heard a phrase this way: that God's answers are always better than our requests. <laughs> in other words, that uh, He has a way of answering them better than the way that I'm asking, because He has the fuller scope of you in mind. And you know, I think for me and my own life, an example of this is when I was in college, I had a herniated disc in my back and just chronic pain for about a year and a half. And I was praying, 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 praying for healing, praying for pr- praying for healing, praying for healing, and. Um, you know, the Lord graciously did end up bringing the physical healing, but I had no idea the amount of emotional healing that had to take mm-hmm. place, the amount of lack of trust in my life, the, the places of idolatry that I, that had just were uh, completely unknown to me, the things that he brought up in that process and in the midst of that pain really became, you know, C.S. Lewis said, a megaphone for his voice in my life. And um, so I think that it, I think sometimes our, the way we pray about something, we could, it can also change. You know, and I think to Paul, you know, Paul's example, certainly he wasn't praying for that thorn to be gone anymore. But now, I mean, his prayer requests would switch to, God, help me to, you know, lay, lay a hold of your grace that's sufficient. And I'm actually going to boast about my weaknesses now, you know, mm-hmm. and that was transferable and sure to dozens of other things and circumstances in his life. And so I think we can pray about the same thing the same way, or we can pray about the same thing and maybe a different way as the Lord continues to reveal kind of the fuller picture um, that he sees the whole time to us. Nicely done, Justin. Appreciate that. Let me take a little break. Lots of time for more questions. 
We've got the extended version of Guy Talk today, which means we're going to go for an additional 30 minutes, which means I need additional questions. Mm-hmm. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. If you like email, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. got a question i know you do send it over 877-933-2484 you can of course remain anonymous if you like all right so maybe there's kids grandkids that you have noticed are not remaining biblically sound they're drifting away they're being influenced by the culture and that is a concern right so panel way into that well you know you go to college and either, like in my situation, that's where Christianity really came upon me. I mean, I think I was a believer in before I went to college, but college really helped me in my faith because of the fellowship groups I got in. But for a lot of people, it's the opposite. You go to college, you lose your faith. And and the question basically is, if your kid is 20 years old and has lost his faith, what do you do about that? What does the church do not to lose these people? And I think that's a hard question. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I just gonna say I know Justin can't stay with us for the extended part, but Justin, <clears throat> you're working with young people all the time, and I know you and I chat about this a lot. I'd love to just hear kind of what you're hearing from young people about this. Yeah, I was just about to chime in. So you got. So thanks for teeing me up. I guess. So I, you know, I think one of the this is a really yeah, this is a really big can of worms and a big question. And I think has a lot of different facets to it, but I think at least one angle. One thing that I've noticed or, and just observed um, is that I, I think there's a tendency to, when we think about raising kids in the faith and and, and just even our discipleship. Um, I think there's there's an emphasis of teaching them here's what you need to think, here's what you need to believe, versus here's how you think, and here's how beliefs are formed. Now both are important, but I think I've noticed that. Um, it, there comes a point or a moment of crisis that will hit, a, you know, a, a life of a young person, and then they're trying to make sense of it, and, the, and maybe it blows up their rubric of understanding of God or the world or themselves. And and I think that part of it is that they they need to be still again connected to a faith community that can help them in a healthy way deconstruct what has been constructed um, in their life, so that that they can really. Um, test and see what is what is truly their foundation of their faith is it jesus is he really the cornerstone um and and so that they can turn the corner to probably reconstruct their faith or around the right foundation up on the right foundation but that's that's a hard messy process and i think sometimes when there's questions and when there's doubting um we can balk at those. We can try to, you know, explain certain things away. But I think actually the questions and doubting are a necessary part to a deep, authentic faith. And and it, and it does. It boils down to trust. Um, are we going to entrust the lives 
um, of our kids and of our grand. I mean, this is something that my wife and I, when we're talking about with young kids and how we're doing this. So, um, but that's, that's one thing. If I could boil it down to just, there's a difference between teaching um, what to believe versus how to believe or what to think versus how to think. And I think both are necessary, um, but they, those kind of go hand in hand. You know, I think being a PK, pastor's kid, is one of the hardest things that could ever happen. I have three adult sons, and they heard all the negative. I'm amazed how people in the church are not afraid to disagree or say, I've got a better idea, or your dad is wrong. That does happen. So I made up my mind very early in this process. Um, I said, look, the only thing that matters is that you spend your life pursuing Jesus. Doesn't matter who I am. Doesn't matter what denomination we are. Pursue Jesus above everything else, and don't let anybody dissuade you from that. Well, not only are they all adults and they're all passionately following Jesus, but that's what they're telling their kids. And I think the problem in Christianity is we love the rules. We love the structure. We love the traditions. And those don't save you. They don't get you anywhere close to the kingdom of God. And so I think most of the rebellion that we see in young people are the stupidity of what we put too much emphasis on in the local church. Rather than, you know, when I talk to young people and they say, I, I really don't want to go to church anymore, my response to them is, what do you think Jesus says about that? I don't care what I say about it. I don't care what Bill says about it. Sorry, Bill. But I do care what Jesus says about it. And when I can get people to honestly look at what Jesus says about things, it's amazing how their minds get changed. But stay away from what we as Lutherans always call the adiaphora, the stuff that really doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, boy, this is this is such a tricky question, and, and would, we could probably do three, four, ten hours on, on this conversation. But I, I think in working with the young people that are the best and the brightest of the church kids from a variety of denominations, right, that, that's who ends up in my classroom. And so this is not denomination-specific when I'm talking about a couple maybe categories that would be worth talking about. But among maybe the 10 or 12 bullet points that I could say, these are the things that they seem to be wrestling with. One is that the church is not really attending to the kinds of things that are happening in their lives. Sure. And, and so, for example, when I teach a sexuality class and we have 14 weeks on this topic and I start the class by saying, so how much did you talk about this in your church? Uh, almost always the answer is we didn't at all. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of go subject by subject by subject in the sense that they don't feel like there's anything being talked about within the life of the church that actually intersects and could help empower, equip and understand these things. So then where do they go? They go to the places where they are talking about it which is going to be social media and Netflix and all of these other things. So they're, they're not going to not learn. They're just, they're, their teachers are not the church and the topics that really matter to them in a way that's going to help. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I hear quite often is what do we expect about the church being compelling to them when the fruit of the church in their mind, whether this is a fair critique or not, the fruit being coming, coming out of the church is, is a fruit of hypocrisy where you see, you know, Um, mass addiction to pornography. You see consistent moral failures among the leadership. You see power plays and divisions and strife. You see sort of more businesses masquerading as churches, right? They're mostly just a business and they're spinning off satellites that, you know, that they're growing things that are using, they're calling people giving units for Pete's sake. And in the sense, like, really? The the beautiful image-bearing people of God are giving units for your budget? So these are the things they're telling me. And so I think these buckets, there are many of these buckets, and and I sympathize, though I'm saddened, by young people's, I, I can't go to the church to find a place that will empower and equip me in life. And so they're going to find some other voice to listen to in these and places. When, when somebody tells me they're about to start college, I just urge them, find a Christian fellowship group 
you know, Campus Crusade, InterVarsity, Navigators, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's what kept me saved in college were the fellowship groups. You got you to gotta put that as a priority before you go to college. I'm not going to lose my faith. I'm going to stay in Christian fellowship. I'm going to join a fellowship group. And I think, Justin, too, with your, with your point and, and, Tom, with what you're saying, one other maybe bucket is that we so often think of the gospel as breaking the power of sin and death as we should, but then we think that that only happens when we get to the other side, as opposed to what does it mean to actively engage with the redemptive resources of God that are ever at hand, where the power of sin and death has actually been broken in our lives as well. So what does it mean to not just be oriented orthodoxically in what we think, but how do we actually walk out life with a very risen, active, and present Lord who is our shepherd in this journey? We don't even know how to be disciples in that way, right? We don't teach people how to live out a real fellowship life with the community, with Jesus at the head of those things. There's just so many buckets in all of this that it's a very difficult question to untie. I hope you're making it mandatory for your students to listen to this program, and I'm dead serious. The reason I say that is that I didn't have this when I was growing up in the church. Right. I didn't have an honest conversation about these things. It really wasn't there. I was taught doctrine. I was taught you do certain things. You, you attend certain holidays. But to really talk and be able to ask questions, you know, because there there's a lot of hypocrisy in the church. There's a lot of victory in the church there that we is. never talk about. Right. And, and we forget about that. I mean, everybody's thrilled about Ronald McDonald's house for parents that have kids in the hospital, except we've been doing that in the church for hundreds of years. So here's a response to Peter. You just said this, and there's the response from a listener. So, Peter, do you think the church needs to change to better serve the needs of people like your students? Well, that's a really good question. All I can say is that this afternoon was my final class in my ethics class that I teach, and it was an hour and 40 minutes, and I just went carte blanche. I just said, you know what? It's all fair game. Ask any question you want. You cannot imagine the energy in that room for those 100 minutes that we were together. It was nonstop, and it was question after question after question. And then I would send him into small groups to talk about, so what is standing out to you? And the room was just, it was just this crazy buzz of noise. Like, they were all totally invested. And I'll tell you what, the questions they were asking, not the common questions that I would have heard being a church kid my whole life. And and I love the church. This is not, I don't like the church. I, I am a church kid through and through. But that room sounded very different than the church in which I found myself. So the answer is yes. I think that um, instead of doing 16-minute sermons with YouTube videos to try to be relevant with, with some funny stories and stuff like that, I think the church has to get very serious-minded about what's actually happening in the life and death with our youth because it's serious stuff with them right now. And I think we're so busy trying to be relevant with coffee shops and businesses to draw in giving units that I think we've lost the sense of what would really equip and empower people in, in these journeys because these students are dying. I mean, they... I feel like a canary in a coal mine so often reading their papers when they crack open and they're like, yep, I'm depressed or I'm cutting or I don't know this. And, I, and these are the best and the brightest of our evangelical kids. I can't emphasize that enough. These are not kids just coming off the street that have never been in the faith. The best and the brightest when you read their papers, it's one thing after another after another. It is the common witness. Very few of the kids feel like, yep, I've got this Christianity thing dialed in. <laughs> uh, it's too often, unfortunately, the opposite. Great answer. And I think our listener just said, let's do it then. Let's change it. I love that idea. Isn't that great? Love that idea. Yeah. Because, it's. I mean, this God's kingdom is real, right? And it is sovereign and it will reign and it is possible to be a part of it at any moment. And so the, the, it can start absolutely right now. Mm-hmm. I can't find this question, but I do remember when I read it. And that the question is, can you fast for someone who has already passed on? And the question that I responded to him with was, why? What is the desired outcome? And he said or any unconfessed sins prior to their death. 
See, I think when the householder gets up and closes the door, you will begin to bang on it saying, let me in. And he said, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> once once somebody dies, it's done. I, I don't pray for my dead relatives. I don't pray that uh, you, you, it can't be done. Yeah. Well, we don't really know what anyone's final moments are, what their mm-hmm. final thoughts are. And that would if be... If you would have, have a desire to pray that those final thoughts were life-changing, transformational, yeah. that would be an all right prayer, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? I think so. Until and Lord. I do that. You know, Lord, uh, you know, let's say somebody's dead 10 years. Lord, I pray that somehow you got to them before they exactly. died. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a great prayer. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, we've already come to hour one, and... 007 is going to be leaving us, although several pastors will be here. Peter, are you going to stick? I'll stick around. Good, good deal. So we've still got plenty of power panel here. We're going to do an extended version. We call this the British version. We stay an extra 30 minutes. So (laughs) we'll be around for another half of segments. So let me know what your questions are. Send them over. Pronto, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-93-FAITH. Some of you send them by email because you like email. That's fine with me too. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Special thanks to Pastor Justin Jepson for his participation today. Uh, meanwhile, the power panel that will stay in place will be Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. After a short break, I'll be right back with more of your questions. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.